doing tonight? Do you think they heard that sniffle? <laughs> I feel like I, sn- I I promise I am I'm fine, but <laughs> he got the vids. No kidding. No, I uh, I was just sneezing, talking about how dusty was in this room because uh, it's been a while since I've been <laughs> in my spare bedroom. They're gonna be um, like, you this need is... to record more. <laughs> You're not wrong, but. Uh, I- but in case you didn't know, my name is Charnel, and I am busy. And as a, <laughs> and so that's my intro for the beginning of this: is that I am a busy man. And hey, you, but you know what? It has not been a month. And I'm D because I never introduced myself, and I am busy too. But I don't. I pretend like I'm not. Yeah. See this? If you're if you don't pretend you're not busy. That's a double negative. If you pretend you're not busy when you're actually busy, then people expect more of you. You got to set the bar low. You under you under promise, over deliver. That's the rule. Oh, okay. Let me write that down. Yeah, everyone should know that. Take that with you. Take that home with I'm you. I'm a black woman. We just overachieve and then suffer later for it. It's fine. Or you could just not. <laughs> You like I, I I know that black women save the world, but like you don't I, sometimes. I know, I know. It's not asked of you, and you you, you just not. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm gonna resolve it one day. But here we are. Here we are. Alone. It's you and me. I mean, I think we did good because it hasn't been a whole month. That's all. That's what I said. I said I was like, it hasn't been a month, I, so you guys can't fight me. No, they uh, can still fight you. How are you I guys mean, doing? Yeah. How are you? I'm Tell fine. us later. We've got things to talk about. I hate this late. episode. Thank you. Yeah, but it's also late, and I'm starving, and we're hungry, and I'm hungry, and <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna kill this today. Not, wow, we're gonna we're gonna knock this out of the park. Um, we've got things to talk about. Yeah, though. we do. Um, housekeeping that we kind of skipped over the last time because clearly your boy is always tired. Um. I'm going to say a shout out to a few people. All right. Uh, we're going to shout out to, oh man, did I get the names wrong? Hope I didn't. Sharon Joseph. Hey, Sharon. Janae Grayson, who I, I remember this name. Janae. So hello, Janae. Hey. Long time listener here around the right. Also, there's some people who don't have real names. So Gay Ghost. Shout out to you, hey, Gay, gay ghost. ghost. I love my ghosts as gay as possible. <laughs> I'm talking like as far on the Kinsey scale as they possibly can be. I'm talking rainbow flags, high heel shoes, fully painted faces. I love my ghost gay, pale, and ooey. I like it. It's also spooky season. Right, anyways, is there I'm anyone into else? It. Yes, Ember Keller. Hey, Ember. Awesome name. I think we talked about this person before, um, about that being a cool name. And uh, Eugene298, whoever you are, Eugene298. Eugene, hey. Hey, you. We see I love an AOL screen name, so you. thank you for that. Also, super exciting news. I need air horns. Burr, burr, burr. Yeah. So, really cool. If you guys didn't know, we were supposed to be at CrimeCon this year in Orlando. I was excited to be at Disney World doing true crime stuff and riding Space Mountain. Did not happen. Mm. Got rescheduled for October, and I was like, yay, Disney World at Halloween. What's better? Canceled. However, 
what they're doing now is crime con house arrest and your favorite podcast will be there yes. virtually yes and it's november 21st i believe it's 11 to 11 a.m to 7 p.m a full day event there's gonna be podcast row exhibit what do you call those people exhibition exhibitors sure whatever they'll be there um there will be live virtual shows um no word yet if we're one of them but uh, the exciting part is that we have two free tickets to give away. Two free. That's free. F R E tickets to give away. To give, to give away. away. It's so exciting. I, I we've never. I don't think we've ever done it. We never had it. Yeah. Every, this is our first. Yeah. What did you do giveaway? Okay. I uh, know. And so me and Dee were talking about this, and it was really funny because I was like, "I we're just gonna ask you for your names, right?" And we're going to put it in a random name generator, and then whoever comes up, comes up. However, I like homework. That's exactly what he did to y'all. This was not my idea. It's a bit of a power trip. I'm sorry. It's (laughs) funny. I was like, I don't want to get a bunch of emails with just names in them. I want to be able to, like, know what people, who they are, what they talk about, because I love people. So, in order to be... be qualified for this randomized giveaway. Not only do you have to send your first and last name to what did you do pod at gmail.com in said email, I want to know what your favorite episode is and why. I'm not going to, it doesn't have any bearing on your drawing. It's random. However, I still would like to know. I want to make sure that you're serious about this and it lets me get to know you better at the same time. So he I wants a to read all five page essay. No kidding. No, a paragraph is nice because I uh, like so, so, or two sentences. You'll be just fine. Four to five sentences. Wow. APA format. I'm sorry. No over you here. have a like grad student on this podcast. I'm sorry, you guys. I was like, I don't want to take any. No, I need it. All right, the way it is. But that's it. Your name, your favorite episode, and why it's your favorite episode. You Feel free to say nice things about us. It's not going to change it. No, they could substitute the favorite episode with why you like my nervous giggle. I'm accepting all compliments. What if everyone doesn't like your nervous I'm giggle? I go get a damn ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Several people do like your like your nervous my giggle. My spirit animal um, is a nervous giggle, and that's what it is. It happens at funerals. Um, I don't know if it's woke enough to, i don't think it's woke to say that you have a spirit animal we're not native <laughs> this is this is fair this is fair yeah. and i'm not deleting it because growth so <laughs> do what i said i uh, appreciate what did you, indigenous tiktok so much we talked about this on twitter but we have to have the conversation later so send your first and last name uh to what did you do pod at gmail.com with your favorite episode why it's your favorite episode also if you want to add another sentence or two why you like d's nervous giggle there are tons of people who don't you can read about them later that's it that's all we've got that's all the <laughs> i was trying to do it in the most succinct amount of time as possible like i don't want to take 20 minutes talking about it but it, i love homework and so feel <sighs> Sorry, free to do it. Guys. We'll stop. When should we stop allowing it? Um, we, didn't even, we didn't talk about that piece. No. Let's see. I give it a week. Yeah. So I'll, we'll stop accepting emails for this particular so thing. I hope we won't you stop guys listen emails. within the week, I guess. Because right. By the 16th. I feel like that I makes mean, sense. I mean, it's fair by because the ones that listen within the week, you're dedicated. So right. you're dedicated. So October 16th by 8 p.m. is the parent. cutoff. Yeah, so October 16th, I don't know what you're saying. 8 p.m. is the cutoff. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, because we're in Connecticut, and we're, our time zone is the best important. So, that's it. That's all I've got. 
Um, I don't know where this energy came from. This is that we're both on that last bit of energy in our body. <laughs> That's what it is. Cause, uh, praise God. Oh hmm. uh, man. Hallelujah. Um, yeah. Are you, are you good though? Are we, we're good to go. Yeah. We're, we're going to talk about Jen and Sarah. Yeah. If you want to talk about happy things first, I got a kitten. Feel free to talk to me about it afterward. It should have been fury. Still here. Name is miles. After miles Morales. Fury. I'm Spider-Man calling him fury. Thing. Whatever. You can call him whatever his cat is. Your former co host and current co host said a thing and it should have been that thing. Yeah, I wish you knew me well enough to know that what people say to me doesn't. (laughs) I do know know you well enough and that's why I'm good. Yeah, I was like, people don't move me. Anyway, so I love it. I love it. Here we go. Part two of the Hart family. We are here. Uh, Trigger warning ahead of time uh, for physical and. I would go as far as emotional, psychological abuse, emotional manipulation, neglect, all those things, neglect. It's going to be talked about. If that is not your thing, we will see you in episode 57, you know, but however, this, this part is loaded with Yeah, this is the hard part. This is the part that I wasn't excited to discuss, but if you don't recall, we left off at the two women adopting all six children. Um, so they are now parents adoptive parents of these six children and we're going to talk about what happens next um on the outside it looked i guess i hate talking about this it looked good and the reason why it looked good on the outside is because jen made such an effort on her social media pages to portray them as a very happy family um a very uh two parents that took care of all these six children who um Put them in all these different situations where they learned about love and free spirithood and all those happy things. And she did that by posting on her social media, which she did frequently. Um, But what we didn't know is on the inside, there was a lot of things going on. And so if I'm just going to describe some of the pictures she would post on her social media page. Now, some may say, and I'm part of the sum some of the things are definitely too much information like she does yeah. have a picture of i want to say it was uh and i'm looking at it now uh i i don't know if this is i can't tell because the kids are so they look so young so i can't tell them apart sometimes but i want to say it could have been Devonte, but he was basically naked playing the guitar uh, and so his <laughs> right so his parts are covered by the guitar so you can't see anything inappropriate but it's still kind of like too much info for the internet and she goes on to discuss um you know why he was naked and how he said he wasn't naked but it was a lot of that it was a lot of pictures of the kids smiling playing the guitar going to different concerts that they would attend um and the most famous picture of the free hug Devante hugging the cop is the one that went viral and the one that you guys know about, he's in the little hat, he's hugging the cop, he has the tears in his eyes. I want to say, was this around this 2014? So I think it was around... This is Ferguson. Yeah. This is, yeah. yeah. So That was a, uh, yep, we're, that was a, right. a protest. Yeah, we're in the midst of, you know, Black Lives Matter. And this is, I guess, one of those images that are supposed to invoke um understanding between the black community and a white police officer 
to me, it's cringy. Um, first of all, I don't know. I don't know. It's just cringy. And along with stuff like that, she would post stuff like their fridge about how much f- food they had in the fridge and stuff like that. And she could have done that in response to some of the things that she was being blamed for that Charnel is going to describe, I guess, now. <laughs> no, I will do no such thing. <laughs> that's not what... Uh, that's not what I'm doing. No, I think that it, it it's important to, as we were going to talk about some of the abuse and some of the things and the allegations that were happening, um, to kind of describe, I think this is why I really enjoy doing the first part, as triggering as it was for me, is to talk about what life looks like in foster care and adoptive care for so many people. Um, and so, because a lot of times, like, even when we... when Listeners, true crime listeners are watching documentaries. We'll, we'll shout at the screen like, God, oh, I wouldn't have done that. If it was me, I would have, you know, like even when we're thinking about like, I wouldn't walk down this scary road if my car broke down. I would stay in the, you know, things like that. We do it all the time. And at the same thing, we think we are these very high, like strong headed, spirited, you know, young kids that we never were. <laughs> but if it was me, I would tell somebody, you know, and a lot of kids do, but a strong majority of us are unsure of what our life looks like. And if it's, not appropriate um but foster kids specifically have more to lose than bio kids with their parents when it comes to things like that um and so they already feel dejected from their biological families whether their parents fail to rise to occasions or whatever the the reason is that they're in care and then to know that they are so close or always on the line of being sent back that when things like this happen they don't always come forward and say that because one if you're with a sibling group i talked about it last episode that it's so hard to get siblings to be fostered or adopted together especially when there's three more than two um and so the fear is they'll split me from my siblings and this experience is always so traumatic. The thing that's keeping me together is the fact that I have the support and love of my siblings. If I lose that, I might lose myself, right? And so there's all these fears that go into this. So when you're listening to all these abuse stories, remember, that's the thing that's running through people's minds. You know, they've been through several foster homes. Um, they've already, you know, they've already been through the system several times. They've been moved all over the place. This is their mindset that if I say this, this is the end all, be- this is the end of it. You know, I'm shipped off somewhere with someone, another stranger learning new places, new things with new quote unquote siblings. It's just, it's traumatizing. And we'll get into it a little bit later, but despite all that, they still were brave enough to say something. Oh, absolutely. I think, I I think sometimes it's the, um, I didn't mean to cut you off. I think sometimes, I know, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a certain people and I don't try so hard not to interrupt women. But, (laughs) um, there's also this weird Zoom lag or we're not technically Zoom, we're on a phone call. But, um, (laughs) but no, so this is, this is the thing. And so there's so many things that we talked about that should have been flagged. Hmm. Um, if someone was looking to adopt or foster a kid, how, again, I can only talk about, from experience and knowledge, true knowledge about Connecticut's foster care system. Cause I know it inside right. and almost out. Right. right? And so, so a lot of these things would, if it happened in Connecticut, they would be disqualified from fostering kids because you don't know how to treat kids. <laughs> so especially extremely vulnerable children. So we're going to go, we're going to actually hop in a time machine and go back a little bit right. to September of 08. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, 
This is when they had the the ah oh gosh, I have the names here. It's when Han- they had the first set of siblings. Yeah, thank you, Hannah. thank you, mm-hmm. thank you, Hannah. I appreciate you. No, I got so it. So Hannah, <laughs> like I said, I have it prepared. I don't know if I want to talk about it. No, you got it. I was like, I've I've got a million things on my screen right now because um, I've been clicking back and forth. So Hannah is six years old, and she is. They find a bruise on her arm, and it's and it's found out that it was Jennifer who ended up hitting Hannah with a belt, causing a bruise. Mm-hmm. And you know what that does. When people find bruises on children, they call people, usually. And police got involved, child protective services, social services got involved. And so what was happening is, not only did teachers find bruises, but they also noticed that there seemed to be some food instability as well. Usually you can tell when kids aren't eating at home. If one, they are constantly asking you for whatever you have if you're an adult, right? Okay. If you see, if you're a trusted person and they're asking you, hey, can I have some of that? If you see them asking their friends for more food, that's usually because they're hungry. If they are stealing food at a young age, there could be other issues, right? They have compulsive eating, yada, yada, yada. Or it could, more often than not, it's because they're not being fed enough. Or food is such a commodity, right? It's such a specialized, high-value thing that they don't get it enough that they need as much of it that, that they can get. And so that's something that was also uh, noticed, that this kid, remember we talked about the foster child that they accused of eating out of, eating out of the trash? Yes. Hannah was actually caught doing that a few times. Again, how desperate this was. And so... The case ended up being closed. Yeah. However, mm. yeah, right. This is what I'm talking about. Like I, <laughs> like so it got it was closed. Um, they tried to say that she had fallen down the steps, and that's why there was a bruise on her arm. You know, they, they didn't put it there intentionally, and because there was no actual proof that, or you know, outside of Hannah's word, right, a six year old, cases shut down. There's no more, there's nothing else looked into for this. And if you're a foster, if you're dealing with foster kids where the, where the chance of abuse is a little bit higher, right? Cause kids have more to lose and predators and abusers know that. Like, you know, they are already a vulnerable population. So if they are, if they are exhibiting these behaviors, you should, a red flag, your ears should go up. Something should happen. If they're in a place that's supposed to be safe and they're, and they're still doing these things and it's not like it wasn't a, a, a behavior that was preserved or held over from a previous placement, something should be done. Uh, I'm not okay because that's her deterra, but her eating out of the trash. Ugh, I hate this case. But, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, another huge red flag is at the end of this and nothing came out of it, they pulled them out of school. However, all the sketchy stuff does not stop there. So this is the point I was I was making before. Um, is that this is all these are all things even like even when cases are closed, they are still on a record. Extensive background checks are done when you're fostering and adopting kids. And so there, so we have Jeremiah, Sierra, Devante. They get adopted in February of 2009. While the process of adoption is happening, I believe it's Texas, where it's six months into an adoption um, or a placement, the adoption is finalized after that. But while you're placing a child with a family and there's an open investigation happening, there's it just doesn't end. <laughs> this happens. 
Remember, this is literally five months prior to them being officially adopted into the Hart household. And so this is, it bothers me. I don't know. And maybe it's because it was a Jennifer Hart thing and it wasn't Sarah. That maybe that's what, how they got it. Only one of them may have adopted the children. Who knows? Right. However, this is a failure of the system. We have to call it out when we see it. Abuse, you know, food instability. That is a problem. Should be a problem. Should be a problem. All right. Yeah. Pisses me off. So now we find ourselves in November of 2010. Yeah. And right. And now we have, again, repetitive at six years old. We have Abigail Hart this time. Now, complaining to a teacher of pain. Sorry, I'm not upset. I'm not. I'm okay. Of pain, you know, on her back. She has pain around her stomach, most notably around her belly button. And as a teacher would, you know, you get a nurse, you investigate, and more bruises are discovered. And so now this is where we get into the com- the conversation around corporal punishment because they admit to the police that they spanked the kids. Right? And so it's like when you ever like a lot of people will hear that especially people who are our age and older um think about spankings or like their parents correcting them physically and in your head you think about it as if like you know what you know, I turned out all right. There's a good chance you might not have. <laughs> but when you think, again, the context of these kids who are coming from situations that are less than ideal, you know, coming into a new home where they're supposed to feel safe and protected, being punished by being beaten. I don't care if you call it spanking or not, because I think spanking gives it the idea that you gave him a couple taps on the tail and that was it. However, this is described by Abigail that Jennifer, with a closed fist, meaning punched, punched this girl. Just saying. Punched this girl and put her head in a cold bath while Sarah says that she just spanked her over the edge of the bathtub because she was misbehaving. This is where this is where we're going, right? I'm There's not also, gonna be okay. <laughs> exactly, and this is this is it feel, I feel, it's very Florida school for the boys for me. It's like there's just and just I feel like this is are, worse. It's definitely worse. You made a commitment um, to take care of these kids. You went out of your way. You went out of your way to grab these kids. You went out of and, your way to act like you could provide for them. You went out of your way to posture to people to make go online to make. It seemed like you're, oh, I'm such a good parent. Like, some people just don't deserve children. I'm sorry. Fuck it. I'm, I'm just mad. Well, yeah. I, I, no, you're, no, you're definitely justified in being angry. And I don't believe that everyone deserves kids either. Like, I don't, not everyone should be a parent. Nope. Like, I, I think there should be a lot of introspection into whether or not you would like to conceive, keep said baby and to, to term and then care for it. Can you? Will you? Should you? All these things. We'll talk about it. Yeah. But either way, they go on to talk about how she was grounded, right? Okay, six-year-olds being grounded is a weird thing for me. I get it. Like, kids can be on punishment, you you know, but being grounded. And while they're doing things like corporal punishment, they're also doing things like withholding food, which is something that is (laughs) characterized as abuse. 
you don't get to withhold sustenance from a kid. Like, it just, a treat is different. Like, a dessert, whatever. But when you're adopting and fostering kids, you are not allowed. Like, it's literally, these are instances of neglect. It is viewed more harshly as a foster parent or adoptive parent if you do things like this. However, what also pisses me off about this is that then later on, she is charged with malicious punishment of a child and misdemeanor domestic assault. Mm -hmm. Criminal charges Mm -hmm. are brought against this woman. Mm -hmm. So Sarah Hart gets a 90-day suspended jail sentence and a year of probation and community service for this. She pleads guilty Mm -hmm. to abusing Abigail Hart. She sure doesn't. Guilty. Mm And they drop, they drop the, they drop the malicious punishment of a child, which they shouldn't have. But she pleads guilty to misdemeanor domestic assault. How is this adoption not disrupted? How, like, yep. I, how don't they take the kids? How does no how one go in and start even care. checking on the kids regularly? Like, from the, like what? And if they were going to move, they touch breaks with the people from the other state, right? To immediately so have somebody is, in the home. To greet them when they get to the new house. Mm. Like, how does that, how? But you guys were so willing and able to take them away from their family, especially Devante's family, who wanted, they wanted to keep them. Like, some things can be rectified, like, but I, under, and I understand also why they would react the way they did. Again, as a kid in foster care, i.e. a kid who, and a person who works in it, like, I see it, I get it. However, again, redemption is possible but like char how do you i can't even okay so i make the mistake and let the mom watch the kids you are spoken to you have somebody come in to make sure you're doing the right thing that be that on that you don't take away the kids give them to these women they're abusing the kids and they get to keep the kids they get to continue their abuse and no one checks on them do you see no, what I'm no, saying? I, uh, no, I. One person, you took that to ex- you, like one person, you took that extreme, and you took the kids away. Probably because of skin color. We know what it is. Right. I mean, there's nuance. Right. We're not. That's not important. But well, mm. not the the skin color and why things were allowed to happen. I'm talking about like the mom and the and the aunt and all that stuff. And then the aunt also would subsequently look to try to get them back. Right. Also, while they're already adopted, like. There's an adoption petition that gets denied. Right, but there's, and, there's parental, <laughs> like, there's like teaching and co- coaching that you could do if this is a one-time mistake. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. The it's kids. Just, it are, just seems to me. I mean, it wasn't a safe situation for the kids, but at least they no. were safe. I think. I think there is the the safety was the intention, mm. um, and provision was the intention. Whereas Sarah and Jennifer Hart are nothing but abusers who are painting who are trying their best to throw people off the scent that they were terrible human beings and this was my this was my major critique of i'm not gonna outwardly talk trash or trash anything but my major critique of another uh, of a major podcast about this is that i think they focus too much on their narrative that they were creating and then all the people around them that you know giving you taylor swift face like i had no idea i'm so surprised like I don't trust anybody, and that's just that's, that's it's the trauma. But but like when I see anything that looks too good to be true, I always I'm always either either secretly suspicious 
or I roll my eyes. Like, I have a friend who just got married, and they are always like, oh, my God, you're such a great husband, and look at my kids doing great things. And I'm like, oh, give it a break. You know, because I because I I see things like this happen all the time. I mean, there's nothing that's that good. Like, stop showing all the good things. All right. Like, you can just say, hey, you're happy with your life. But that's not important. What's important now is, again, talking about the life that they were building online and through the stories with their friends and with their family members and their neighbors. This is what's important. And so in this at this point, when we're talking about all these things that are going on. They are also putting on the the robes and the garb of activists right? right it's not so much it's not so much that they are just people being you know good parents on facebook these people are literally taking on the savior role and taking it on seriously mm-hmm. and maybe in a, in an effort to overcompensate or to compensate for their terribleness i don't know what it is but they're getting super involved in demonstrations and protests and they're bringing their kids along yep. On couched in the in the explanation that they're trying to teach their kids what it looks like to do right, to know what justice is, to know what humility is, there. and what serving other people looks like. Right. However, no, right. we know what's happening behind closed doors. They were big on uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign trail, and they went to a few of his events. Uh, right, not quite there yet, but yes, yeah, you know, you're I mean, also they're right. Just very- <laughs> Free love, love and peace, and different concerts and stuff like that. Right, and can we talk about now? I'm not going to talk trash about these folks' music. Like I <laughs> leave, leave I went and I people listened. alone. They have nothing. Right, to do I went with and it. I listened, and I said I need to understand. <laughs> of course, you went. What and these concerts are? I did not. I was like, okay, so what? What I can't pronounce it properly. Uh, Nako and the medicine for the people. Look. I didn't know, I had no idea that world music was a genre. Oh, that's what they're considered? I thought they were just indie. Yeah, it's this indie, earthy, crunchy vibe of a genre of music. Uh, wow. Mm. Is all I have to say. <laughs> like, crunchy. like, I've that. been to some trippy shows and things like that, but if you're going to be a part of this, you've got you've to be involved. It's very, it's given me very much Midsummer Commune. Like, you've got to love each other. And love people and ignore the music. And it'd be, <laughs> be there. But, like, that's neither here nor there. I like having some humor and we were talking about terrible things. Mm. It's true. Yeah. As you're talking so, and trying to make jokes, I'm looking at all her posts on Reddit. Uh-huh. And I'm just cringing because these kids were, like, an accessory to her. Exactly. It's like, it's like when you dress up, I hate to say this, but when you dress up your pets in an adorable outfit... And you post it, same thing she did with these kids. These kids. I don't, I no, see no I think, different. Yeah, I think that the one thing to think about, too, so uh, grounding it a little bit. So there are, when people think of foster care, a lot of people think of, the first thing people think of is that, or at least when you think of negative pieces of foster care, people think of people doing it because there's money involved, right? Um People do get a stipend. You get paid to take care of kids, but that's not your money. It's not a source of income that is means to provide for the kids that are now taking up space in your home, to feed them, to clothe them, to add them and in, in, include them in activities and vacations and things like that, because you typically wouldn't have that money. There are tons of people who have means who adopt kids who still receive that money, and they do great things like put it into a, an account for them to hold on to. 
you know, so that we we see that, but then you also see the people who do it as a means of now I can pay for my car or now I can, you know, buy extra clothes and then do very little for the actual kids. Um, the other thing is that we see people who do it, again, as saviorism, people who do it because they think, oh, I've had such a hard life that I would like to make it make a difference in someone else's. What's the best thing that I can do? And as two white lesbian women, well, clearly those are two intersections right there where women and both queer people, you know, intersectionality is a thing, are experiencing a very unique set of difficulties navigating America, I'd imagine. <laughs> that they're like, well, how can we help those who are even less fortunate than we are? Correct. And we all know, we've talked about, like, la- the last podcast on the left talks about it. We talk about it when we've talked about sex workers and things like that. There are people who are, quote, unquote, less dead, just like there are people who I think are less, like, alive or worth less while they're living. And we think about those people, like, we need to save black people because there's the assumption that their lives are, you know, There's a monolithic assumption that we're all poor, that we're all this, we're all that. You know, we are more likely to be disproportionately, you know, impoverished and all this stuff. But all of us are broke. Um, But so I think that is how they approach foster care is they wanted people that other people would look at and make those assumptions about them. These kids are from such broken homes. They're so how lucky they are to have these two women caring for them. Like that is the image they wanted. And that's how I believe things were going. And that's what she did. And that's what she put on Facebook. And I think that's why those things worked. And also the whole dust thou dost protest too much. I can't talk. I have a lisp apparently. And it was like, I need to then overcompensate. And so that's what we're looking at as we keep going down. Mm -hmm. 2013. Yeah. Family moves to Portland. Yep, they're in Oregon. They leave Minnesota. They've pulled the kids out of school. They've moved to Portland. Again, we all know what it's like. We all know, but we all know what it means to move to a new place. It means that nobody knows you. Yeah. It means new beginnings. You could be whoever you want to be. If I wanted to move to D.C. tomorrow and tell everybody that I was in a ska band in Connecticut that no one's ever heard of, they have no reason not to believe me. <laughs> you know? And so you can start anew and you can make up stories about who your family was and why you left. Um, we've seen them escape several times when things become uncomfortable. The first time we see it in, in what they believe to be, you know, obviously a very conservative area, they leave to a better, quote unquote, more liberal place. It's not as liberal as they expected it to be. But when they have eyes on them, we see them escaping again. It's not going to be the last time they take off. But you see this happening. Mm-hmm. However, a friend of the hearts, a woman with a name whose last last name I will not try to pronounce, but it looks Greek, Agriopopoulos, but Alexandra A., we'll call her that, she had let welfare officials know that she had seen, this is the thing, very weird, unusual abusive punishments from the hearts to these kids things like depriving food right also isolating the kids for long periods of time again neglectful abusive behavior that was reported and now this is also the 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 case that is always being made for a national foster care registry if you are a foster parent you should be if we have we have like gun registries and sex offender registries if you are doing something like this like the same call for like police registries and things like that like if you are going to care for kids and you have like i feel like if you have had any criminal background if, screw that 
If you're going to foster a kid, you should be on a registry. So that way, if somebody was going to look for you, if you're going to do it in California after moving from Connecticut, we know what your experience was. Yep. You know? And this is the this is one of the, the calls for that. Is So what happens is they get reported, right? And instead of... I'm so mad. So... They break off contact with this friend, right? How dare you betray us? So there's also the other thing about foster care, and I'll speak for this um, as personal experience, that there are points where people will mistreat a foster kid, and and a lot of times the abusive foster parent will feel comfortable treating and saying things to this kid in front of certain people because they believe that they're also their brand of terrible and intolerant. Right. Right. And sometimes that's not the case. And because you've told on them and that you've seen them mistreat children, all of a sudden you are the enemy. You are the problem. You've got to go. I've Look, it's happened. People are like, you probably shouldn't talk to him like that. And I remember never going to that person's house again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's, it's literally it happens so frequently. Wow. And so CPS comes in, the Child Welfare Services, they, everyone has, we have DCF, Department of Children and Families, it's different everywhere. Okay. So Child Protective Services comes in, and they obviously need to come in and investigate. And it's very clear to them that they've been coached. Mm-hmm. These kids have been told what to say. Child Protective Services says, hey, these answers are way too concise for these kids to just have this off the top of their heads because they're kids and they don't have language for some of these things yet, but yet they do. Mm-hmm. But nothing could be done if the kids aren't apparently corroborating this story, right? And so if you can't prove it, it's not just what you quote unquote know. It's like the legal system, what you can prove when it comes to human services. There's tons of people who clean up their house the day a social worker visits, mm-hmm. Say right? Less, yeah. Could be filthy, any other time, but right. when they know that homegirl sh- or homeboy is showing up, house is spotless, yep. right? You do like, and if you can't prove that the house is dirty ninety five percent of the time, there's only so much you could do. And but also, ongoing investigations need to happen. Mm. This is all again <laughs> systems failing. And then Jen uses like the excuse of why these family friends and people were claiming that there are issues. She said that they are not tolerant of two lesbian mothers with six black kids. Right. I'm I'm wary. I'll say this off the top of my head. You can call me prejudiced or not. I'm wary of of white parents with a swath of black babies. Amen. I don't care what anyone has to say about that. Yep. It it raises my my like my tail and goes up and I'm I've got all these Eyebrows. questions. And, and if you got a problem with that, see what happens to the story. Okay. And it's like, it's not even because of the heart case. It's just I mean, one of those general, things where, yeah. yeah, we talked about like the multi-ethnic placement act and how they started placing people with different backgrounds. But it's also known that kids do better with people that look like them or have the same culture mm-hmm. um, or background because it's just safer and it's easier to fall in place in a home that reminds you of home. Right. And so the fact that you go out and you're saying, I want you know, people don't realize adoption works like this, but you could say, I want this profile. Like, I'm becoming a foster parent, and I'm saying, I will take any race, um, any gender between the ages of 6 and 12. I don't want anybody that's medically complex because I don't have the time, you know, right. to to dedicate. I work full time. So it's like, you know, so you could say, these are things I'm willing to do. Please give them to me. And I'm sure that they, in order to get three, two sets of three siblings, 
you know, that were of color black. Um, it just, it just seems, it seems intentional. Um, and so like, I'm just wary. It's a personal opinion. You don't have to say whatever you want. And it just seems like, again, the, the, the saviorism, like, I want to save the world. How can I do that? I'm like, you save the world by not adopting and fostering kids if you're terrible. Like, do that. Um, so this brings us to a few things. The cops end up getting called, uh, during 2013 a couple of times to the Hart House. I looked up exactly what it could be. I had a hard time figuring out why. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine it's because people are terrible. And either I'd imagine, again, Jennifer seems to be like the heavy, the heavy hitter yeah. here. And I just imagine that maybe there was some kind of domestic disputes that were going on. Um, or maybe this is about the time where the kids really started to feel maybe empowered to start trying to say something to somebody. Maybe there was anonymous calls to 911. Like, couldn't find anything on it, but I don't put anything past these people. And then it brings us, again, to the activism piece in November of 2014. Ferguson, Missouri, killing of Michael Brown. The famous picture. Right. Of this young this young boy hugging this cop. Now, this is the thing. This is the picture I also want to paint. And I'm obviously spinning a narrative. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. Um, <laughs> because this is how I would see it. Some of these kids, like I looked up in their history, some of these kids have run-ins with the police already. Not of their own accord, but with their family members. Mm-hmm. Kids, There's kids have been in situations where they've been shot at. Not by police, but by other people. Uh, where police have been involved. They've seen police interact with their family members in ways that are less than ideal for a young person, especially a young black person, to see at a young age and then expect police to be their friends. Right. Right? Like, this is something what it is. Black people have trauma around the police. It's not a secret. We've been talking about it for years. Like, there is just a shared collective experience that so many of us have, Mm -hmm. and the stories are too similar for all of us to be lying, but some of you, whatever. Doesn't matter. Let me let me so, paint a picture for you. I could live here where I'm at, and somebody could live in California. We both have no like backgrounds with you know police and the legal system. And when a cop pulls us over, we're still about to shit on ourselves. That's like a collective experience. That's how strong the experience right. is. Somebody that I don't know that we don't even we both feel the same way when we get pulled over, and it's not the same for people who aren't black sociologically speaking right there are tons of experiences that black people view as exclusive to us mm-hmm. right and they are internalized and from the time that we we're kids like there's a generational trauma piece that people don't like to talk about but we've been passed down stories of people in law enforcement mistreating us for generations and generations and generations and in our heart of hearts as young kids we don't readily believe them we just trust the people who have told us and so if the if grandma says it's true grandma doesn't lie to us hopefully right then it has to be true but it's not and then t- <laughs> yeah go ahead and then typically we have our own experience that then validates those feelings that we've already internalized right and then the, yeah. the pattern continues that's where i was going and, and then you grow up and right. then you're seeing the same thing displayed that somebody once told you because I can so remember exactly. a kid playing cops and robbers and, you know, even though, you know, you heard well, what... My people... mom didn't let me play that game. <laughs> I don't think anyone was watching us. My mom was a, my mom was also, like, a criminal, though, so she had her own <laughs> <laughs> feelings about police. But then you grow <laughs> up and you're like, the cops aren't the good guys. 
Not always, not right? Always, yeah. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that all cops are terrible because we know that they're all not. But, like, what did, what did Kamala say at the VP debate? That bad cops are bad for good cops. Like, it's just, yep. it is it is what it is. Like, that's not lost on anybody. So, for me, I said all this to say this, is that knowing the context of what's happening, of since, we can talk about since it's been, like, hyper- uh, sensationalized through the media not sensationalized is the wrong word hyper uh, reported through the media since like um, I just lost the name um, oh man LA Oh, uh, oh what's gosh. his name Jeez. the riots Ooh. yeah the LA riots what is this guy's name oh, oh whatever damn. we'll come back yeah. to it I feel like such a bad black person <laughs> but from then to, to now right so to 2014 knowing the context of these protests to force this young black kid who has, one, experienced abuse from the hands of a less melanated person, right? This white person. And then also witnessing the violence of police against black bodies on the internet. I hate saying black bodies. Black people on the internet, on television. To then say that this kid walks up this police officer and hugs him in this incredible moment of unity. This is set up. Yep. I, I don't care what anyone I, could say. Actually, I absolutely believe that she set this up. This was... Like, go hug him. Go right. This kid is not crying. He's probably out of crying because he's scared. Exactly. You can't convince me that he's crying because he's so overwhelmed with the unifying feeling of coming together as two human beings looking to do the best they can with what they've got. I don't trust that. Don't believe it. Again, I'm not going to stay here very long. But this is the point I'm trying to make. Right. And so that picture blows up because again, people who want to just discount what's happening or what has happened in america and the things that we should probably address and deal with and get over it like right like like we could we could totally start working for it but they they started using this photo you know as it means like see how things can happen see what we could be and it's like but they still don't realize that the power dynamic in this photo is greatly shifted and it's like it's it's not even and there's not a unity because one of them could do what they want and it doesn't matter so we see this happen, goes viral. Then we also see them latch on to another kind of viral piece of news. Uh, the upstart of one Senator Bernie Sanders, right. right? Who, if you knew politics, you knew Bernie Sanders from like 2007 and he had a great filibuster speech. And then, you know, I think it was 2011, there was another like great moment. He's got other recorded moments that most people didn't pay attention to. Let's be realistic, (laughs) but it's not because he's not a caring person of service. It's just because he wasn't, his last name wasn't Bush or Clinton. Let's be realistic. And so, so if you're a political before like social media and things like that, people didn't celebritize politicians like that, like they do now. I wish that don't stand politicians. No one's going to save you. The point is you got to save yourself. You got to do the work and work with each other because people up there are exactly. Yes. Um, do what you can. So they latch on to, I feel like, I feel like, Oh my God, we're so leftist, but, um, (laughs) Bernie Sanders campaign and Bernie is running on the, on the premise of unity and building this very broad and diverse coalition. Mm -hmm. And what could be more broad and diverse than a, a white lesbian couple caring for six black adopted kids, mm-hmm. right? And so we talk about that. Um, they also talk about how they've been reached, they had been reached out to by the Bernie campaign. They'd gotten these kids up at like four in the morning to drive them long distances. But when the campaign reaches out, because if you don't know, the shots behind presidential campaigns 
or rallies, uh, candidate rallies, they're all staged. All the people you can see are there on purpose. It's like Jerry Springer. I've been to a taping of Jerry Springer and Maury. It's, it was taped in Connecticut. Um, <laughs> free. Tickets are free. But that's intentional, too. They literally would seat you by your level of attractiveness. Right. right? I got sat in the middle, so I felt away. But it's one of those things where, like, those pictures you see, those shots that you see, everything you see in political campaigns is intentional. Right. Nothing happens by accident. That bird was an accident. That fly. The fly. Like, I was no, going to say, no, what are you talking about? Right. No, the, the, fly bird, knew, about the, the fly bird. knew what he was doing. I was talking about the bird for Bernie Sanders. You remember that that moment that happened if the bird landed on his podium? Vaguely. Um, like, some things are accidental and just make for good moments. The fly made for a good moment. But everything else you see is very intentional. Right. Placement. It's right on yeah, brand. People yeah. around. And so. The, the two picked, black people that are always behind Trump. Exactly. <laughs> they are always picked. To make the, the to reflect what they want the picture or the character of this candidate to be, and Bernie Sanders' campaign said this family fits the broad coalition we're trying to build. And so again, use this props, and once again, thrown on Facebook as D can attest, post after post talking about how they're teaching their kids about getting involved in their civil duty and mm-hmm. the political process and. Being able to give back. They had like, like a it's blue all... Bernie Sanders shirt they would wear and posted the kids up mm-hmm. on. Like they were very much the activists. And that's the picture I was trying to draw for you in the beginning. Like they try to portray this family who is active, political, caring, um, just having a wonderful time watching these children grow. Right. Yeah. <sighs> if they even look like they grow. I mean, even I, I just don't even understand. Like some of these pictures that she posted of these kids, they just seem mm-hmm. severely underage for the just age that she thin. posted. Yeah, right, like, very young. Severely, like you're talking about fourteen. He looked eight. Like they look just right. severely underage. So I don't even know why we, you would post this because had I been your friend, I'd be like, oh, why he looks so so little? Exactly for, and we all know that, especially in development stages for children. Proper nutrition is important for them to grow properly. Right. And eat your veggies. You're going to grow up big and strong. Look at us. Just big. Right. You know, but <laughs> I love that meme. But <laughs> no, like you, they say things like that because it's super important. You need to have enough food. Like boys, uh, like everyone needs to eat. Right. But boys, when they go through puberty, typically there is a growth spurt and your body is catching up to what's happening. And you need, like, I remember I went from being four foot 11 to five foot six between fifth and sixth grade. That's why I shot up. It is insane. That's why. Right? And that's the biggest growth spurt I ever had. But from then, it was like a very gradual thing. But it was a huge jump. And I remember my knees hurting and I remember my back hurting because of growing pains, literal growing pains. But I was also super hungry all the time. And I was hungry because my body needed energy right and so it's like you need to do that and at some point you know you end up eating enough protein and learning what exercise is and playing sports and eventually your body starts shaping itself but you need that and so when you start seeing kids who are supposed to be 14 look young not because their face they have baby faces but because they're just small yeah like again red flags we're going to talk about it forever right there's some but it's thing but there are things to there are very much things to be keeping an eye out for um again we me and d are just saying this because we know and we we're taught to kind of pick out signs of abuse right um 
But so what ends up happening is they they end up moving again. Uh, uh right <laughs> to Clark County, Washington, and <laughs> getting right out of Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. And again, leave like once things start, they start growing roots. And people start paying attention. So there is no, there are no other reports of child abuse, right? No. For them. However, again, when you are an abuser and it is to the point where you are withholding food from kids and things like that, people will start to notice, like Dee said, that your kid is not as healthy looking as they should be. Or they shouldn't be growing. How's this kid 14 and look the way he does? People start asking questions. People ask if he's sick. People Right. All these things start happening, and by the time you start making progress, and not progress, but the time you start building relationships and getting intertwined in your community, people are going to notice you. People are going to care outside of your family. He's, they're going to make kids are going to make friends. They're going to have mentors, teachers, you know, coaches who are going to ask questions. And so you need to go. So I'm going to give you a little breather right here and talk about one other thing. In the midst of all Do of it. this, it's Sarah that's the sole provider of the household. Um, at this point, Jen stopped working because they both were working retail. Jen stopped working. Sarah was, I believe, what, an assistant manager at a department yes. store? Before, yeah. Right. Which you're, and then also again. Right. Which is, you're not making that much. So, I don't know if you guys have ever moved, but the cost of moving is ridiculous. Um, So, just to talk about their relationship a little bit, I'm not too sure how the love really went. It seemed like although Sarah was bringing home the bacon, bringing home the money, bringing home and was like the provider, Jen was calling the shots. Jen was a stay-at-home mother, but it was described that she would be on these games all day playing video games, like computer games. She was in this big community. I think one of the players even stated that they didn't think that she even had kids or a family because she was on so often. That it was, how would she have had time to take care of six kids during the day if she was on this online game so often? And Sarah was providing. Now, you do get funds for, you know, getting these children and adopting these children. So you do get money. But still, you're moving. These are different houses. Like, how is this possible? I believe that Sarah was very stressed (laughs) in the situation. I know... There was unhappiness regarding Jen's constant being on the game um, coming from Sarah. But I know also that she had an issue being the sole provider and it was stressful for her. But again, I don't think Jen had such and we spoke about this dominant personality that I even think Sarah was too afraid to stand up for herself in this relationship. No, for sure. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised yeah. if she was a little abusive to Sarah as well. Well, that's why I kind of insinuated that before. I was just like, I feel like it might have been domestic abuse calls when they were being called to the house. Yeah. Um, just enough things that you would remove the kids from the home. If this was if this was happening with their bio families, you would have taken them a long yeah. time ago. So, right? It was like, yeah. And just to touch on, you know, the cost of of moving. Yeah, it's really expensive to move. Um, you know. Sometimes you you have the luxury of um, kind of being able to find a home, and if you have a down payment of your rent, if the rental property the first and last month, whatever it is, you know if you can find someone to cover the moving costs, maybe you have friends or family who hooked you up. But the thing to remember about these folks is that there are the reports about the state of Texas and what they were paying the Hearts 
a month for the kids. So they nearly, they got $1,900 a month. $1,900 a month for these kids. Um, the overall, they, what they believe is over the decade that they had the kids, that two, they paid $270,000 to the hearts to care for them. $270,000, which is not a little bit of money, right? And if the kids weren't being cared for properly, that money is not going to Yeah, them, the money wasn't going. We right? know the money wasn't going to the kids. Right. And so that is a huge chunk of extra money. Like, I'm sure that Sarah where didn't the make money that in five going. years. Well, I, we could probably figure it out, you know. I don't know. So it's like, um, it's like, I mean, we could talk about what the Hart family house looked like once people like went inside and it was only you know, t- it was only two bedrooms. Exactly, exactly two bedrooms. So it wasn't the house. Very minimal. Well, houses can have two bedrooms, but you know, yeah, no, but it wasn't like that's an expensive house. It's not. No, it's not an expensive house. But my insinuation is that the money is being spent on themselves lavishly on other things like things that are fleeting you know like foods and gifts and things like that or you know the other thing i was always thinking about too is like where would you stash money if you had to right you know let's say you like if you had to run right if you finally get caught like i was just thinking like where would all this money be going um but i they also don't strike me as planners no um and we'll see that as we go forward too that it's just not the case right they just like there seems to be a lot of impulsivity uh dealing with this but once they move to this this new home in clark county washington they start becoming friendly with the neighbors mm-hmm. and as most people do right let's be realistic mm-hmm. we all talk about it as most people do you start you know you notice your neighbor's quirks right like i think about my neighbors right now and you know yikes <laughs> <laughs> so you do have some interesting neighbors. I do. I miss. I miss them, being over there. Damn COVID. Um. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure my my neighbors miss seeing you too. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like you start noticing things. Like you always notice your neighbors. Like you notice who comes and goes. Do they leave their house late at night? Like I, I'm sure my neighbors look at me when I leave. Like when we record late, and I'm leaving at like 11:30 to go get food. They're like, "Why is Charnel leaving? Or he's They're going still to, fully dressed. Oh, he's gonna go get. Never mind. Never mind. No, I'm a I'm a good Christian man. Those things don't happen whatever. to me. Right. Be careful. <laughs> but they, <laughs> Lordy. Anyway, you're a joke. <laughs> um, but they start becoming friendly with Dana and Bruce DeCap. Decap, decap. It's like Decap County. Decaps. It's like Georgia. Yeah, and it is. Uh, it's one of those moments where, again, this is. I I love the whole like you shouldn't mind your business. We talk about it, and so in September, Hannah Hart, again, mm-hmm. is the one kind of being vocal about what's happening. She ends up sneaking out of their house. And knocking on their neighbors or decap's door at one thirty in the morning, begging them, like, don't make me go back to this house. My mom, my moms are racist, and they whip us with belts, right? Neighbors, you know, in the middle of the night. So this is something that should again raise alarms. Big alarms. R- huge alarms in the middle of the night. Nighttime. So if a kid knocked on my door tonight and said my moms are racist i'd be like wow whoa explain you know but also like they're beating me it's the middle of the night and you said these kids like i'm gonna like i'm gonna take heat Mm -hmm. and 
not only that, right? Uh, they they bring it up to the hearts. And not only do they come up with their own lies, they make Hannah write a letter to them saying, hey, I stopped by this morning because I felt bad about disturbing your peace. And we woke you up in the middle of the night with my lies. You know, I was just, you know, well, you know, just all these things, like just clear red flags that are happening right now. It shouldn't, it should be an issue for everybody. Jen literally says that she was acting up because, and the children are acting up occasionally because they're drug babies. Out of her mouth. And that Hannah's biological mother was bipolar and that's why she did what she did. Right, and so, like, how, like, not only that, so, like, also, like, not only that, but saying those things, again, creates the idea of what people expect these kids to be. And this has always been my, the thing that pisses me off about people when they talk about foster kids, is that they are not broken or damaged beyond repair. They are not fucked up simply because they are foster kids. But people will believe that about foster kids because they don't know many foster kids, if any, Typically, the people that are (laughs) broken or fucked up are usually the people around them, not the kids. Right. The kids are just being, the kids are just victims of what's happening in their environment. They have no power or control over where they are. Right. It's just, they're kids. You know, and a lot of times if you grow up in neglectful or abusive environments, that is just what life looks like. And nobody talks about it. If you go to school, how often did your did your friends tell you that their dads beat them? Or, you know, no one talks about it. So it's it's very isolating and you feel very alienated and alone in your experiences. And you think that it's just normal because no one's complaining about it. Right. And so it's like, this is my life. This everyone's life has to look like it. This is this is for me. Don't have to worry about it. You know, and so it isn't until someone else steps in and looks at you. We talk about this with serial killers all the time is that it's usually once they step out of their home environments that where someone's like, dude, that's not okay. Where they're finally either met with you get checked out or there's some conversations around mental illness. The same thing happens when it's abuse. If you don't have people or have any idea of what life looks like outside of this, you're not going to know. It's just your life. This is what I grew up thinking that your mom is supposed to have strangers in and out of your house every day. I grew up that it's normal that your mom carried razor blades in her mouth and had guns in her purse. Like that's what happened. You know, I thought everyone protected their family like this, (laughs) you know, and it's not true. Like my mom was dealing drugs and the house was incredibly unsafe for kids, you know, but my mom fed me. And my mom provided for me. And so I'm like, I'm fine. I'm not, you know, neglected. I'm not being abused. My mom never beat me senseless. You know, it's like, it was never anything like that. So I'm like, I'm fine. You know, but I was not. And so these kids are, it's never the kids. It's just the circumstances they were, they were put in that are affecting them. And they have to find a way to become, like, to become uh, stabilized and self-sufficient again. So it's just the idea that she would say, uh, they're drug babies and you know their mom was bipolar my mom was paranoid schizophrenic however right. i'm functional you know why mm-hmm. you know because you don't just get to blame meant like someone else's mental illness for how other kids are acting or it just blows my mind doesn't matter i'm getting angry so <laughs> right we talk about how the decabs decided to you know not say anything right this is not our business they've they've kind of glossed it over it's good enough for us not blaming the decabs, I'm just saying he should have said something. Mm-hmm. However, Steve Frovic, who is the mother, or the mother, the father of Dana Decab, 
decided that he couldn't stay silent. Right, he was going to have to say something. There is, if you want to, you can go look up the, the, the call to the authorities. It's on YouTube. Um, he calls and says, I'm concerned about these kids. <laughs> like, hey, my, my daughter lives next door to this family. I think there's something going on with these kids. He says, I feel like they're being highly abused. And it goes and tells the story that his daughter told him about this girl jumping out of a window in the middle of the night to come ask for help. So, like, again. I'm glad somebody so, didn't stay silent, so. Exactly. And this happened, this was a couple, this, again, this, the, the initial jump out of the window happened in September of 2017. Her father called in November of 2017. And so now... Uh, Dana says, hey, there's nothing else has happened since then. And why do you think, Dana? Because the one time that Hannah got out, they glossed it over. Do you think they would allow them space to have the opportunity to do it again? You know, so it's like there's there's all these things that happen. It's been quiet ever since. And if you look at uh, other podcasts talking about this, if you look at news articles, they say that the kids became even more. um, To themselves. To themselves. They would get out of the car and go directly into the house. Yep. Like, they were taught would... not to speak to neighbors. Yep. Like, if you made eye contact with them, you know, like, it's just what happens. Abusers are also control freaks. They need to control narratives. They need to control behaviors. Because if they lose control, they lose their power. That is what happens. Yep. Point is. Now, social services gets involved once again. Again. Because finally, people have decided to step up and complain. Shout out again to Dana for finally doing the right. That's, <laughs> That's right. Nice. You just don't do That's that. That's nice. But she 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 reaches out. Uh, what's the official name of this? Not CPS. What is it? Washington Department of Social and Health Services. It's a long title. Uh, and lets them know, hey, Devontae has been sneaking over here asking us for food. He's been over here ten times in seven days. Right. So after Hannah, it doesn't completely stop because Devante starts to go over. And Devante starts to ask him for non-perishable food specifically so that they could hide right. it in their rooms. Exactly. Right. So when things like this happen, again, when kids, like when you see kids that you think are being cared for, asking and begging for basic necessities, like red flag people. This one, just keep your, again, just... Be cognizant. Like, if it, I don't care if you're a yoga instructor. I don't know why Diane is a yoga instructor, so that's where my brain went. Like, <laughs> I don't care if you're, a, you're right, if you're a yoga instructor. I don't care if you're a a crosswalk monitor or whatever. Like, if you are a like we're talking about like uh, what's the Gabriel Fernandez case? That's his last name, right? Hernandez. Yeah, Hernandez. Yeah, I never yeah, finished Hernandez. watching that. Can do it. Um, like if you're a security guard in a child services agency like if you notice something you need to say something more often than not kids are not able to protect themselves from their parents or their guardians it's just they have all the control they get to control the narratives if you see something that you believe is abusive or neglectful it is up to you some chances to save someone's life right so pay attention is all i'm saying and so cps shows up and knocks on the door the same day which typically what happens, I'm not going to say social services doesn't, doesn't move quickly when it needs to, but no one comes to the door. Nobody answers the door at all. No. And this is March 23rd of 2018. So this is, uh, this is when things starts getting, start getting weird. 
There's no movement at the house. No. No one's at the house. They have left with the kids. I am so mad. I'm sorry. I, I can it's feel okay. It, I like, cried. Um, my and I God. haven't cried in the podcast since I had to describe Fernando Castile's murder. So it's fine, friend. So. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, we know what happens. I mean, do we? Right. Yeah. So if we're talking timeline. All right. So if we're going pure timeline at this point. Yeah. 5.24 p.m. this day. There's surveillance footage that shows Sarah leaving her job, right? And it shows them flying up the driveway right, like within an hour of CPS being there, almost as if it was expected, right? Yep. Like knowing, like getting in there, bound, like getting some things, getting things quote unquote need and bouncing. Then 3 a.m. next day. Sarah's coworker gets a text message from Sarah saying she's too sick to open the store. Someone else is going to need to do it. We've all called out early in the morning, you know, as to not, at least I'll, I'll tell him myself when I know I'm not going to work for reasons that are other than me being sick. I always do it really early in the morning. So you can't complain or ask me questions. I've already gone gallivanting. That's very interesting. I just constantly do it early. Oh, well. No, like if it's three in the morning, like I like if I'm ill, I always like if I'm actually sick, I like to wait until like 30, 40 minutes before I have to be am expected to know if I'm still not feeling well. That's very strange. If I just know I'm not coming to work, I'm so I hope no one who supervises me and listens. <laughs> but if, <laughs> but if, I know I'm not going to work for reasons that are not sickness. It's two in the morning unless I'm actually it, ill. Two in the okay. morning. Okay. No, either way for me, it's the I'm same a, because I want to a give courtesy. B, right. if I'm really sick, I've been up all night anyway. So guess what? I'm gonna call you early because we both be gonna be up now. <laughs> we also have different like our context of jobs and like sure. and what other people think about it. So like I have the, I have the freedom to to call late if I wanted to and not be expected if I don't have anything. Going it's the guilt. I'm but, always like two hours before. Two hours before. That's right. Um, so they they reach out. They <laughs> you're so Sarah reaches out to. Uh, the coworker lets lets them know, hey, I'm not coming to open the store. Someone else will need to do it. The decabs next door neighbor, decabs. I it's decab county. Decab is his name. Notice that their their Yukon is gone. Their truck is gone out of the driveway early that morning. All right, where are they? Now again, timeline wise, 8:05 this morning. Surveillance footage catches Jen at a Safeway in Fort Bragg, California, not Washington. Yeah. Far away enough, you know, wearing sweats, wearing glasses, and buying groceries. Also, we a lot of people have mentioned this too that looking less than what she's expected to look like, right. as if something has been happening, as if there's major stressors that are happening that are causing her to pay less attention to grooming or let's talk about eating habits. Maybe I don't know. People have talked about she looked heavier right. and frumpier. Um, I've not, I don't care much about whoever's weight looks like what, but it's to, to be noticed. Right. And then it either happened late that night or early that morning that the heart women, the moms, rev up a car to 90 miles per hour and drive off 
a hundred foot cliff in Westport, California. Mm-hmm. So subsequently killing themselves and the children in the car. So, you know, and just to go into more detail, you know, police that, you know, it, at first it was thought as an accident, which we covered in the beginning. Um, but during the coroners, when they found needed the toxicology on the bodies, um, Jennifer Hart was over the legal limit of alcohol. Uh, Sarah had Benadryl in her system, as did the children, to probably be asleep. They also noticed that there was no, like, if you're about to, like, have an accident, you're losing control, you press the brakes, you'll have skid marks. There was no skid marks at the edge of the cliff. It was a straight shoot, and including the black box, which did record them going a straight 90 miles per hour, no stopping. So these are all the different clues that led 40 members of the coroner's jury to unanimously rule this a murder-suicide. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Is that it? <laughs> no, it's not. I am home. The time, yeah, the timeline is such that um that you know that Sarah's coworker calls 911 and asks for a welfare check um because she doesn't miss work that often. She had called out two days prior, right? right? Um or two, I'm sorry, a day prior. And so it makes sense, but they had not heard from her saying, Hey, I'll be in tomorrow. And so since she had missed work and it's now one in the afternoon, they're concerned. You know, cops show up, obviously no one is home. And it isn't until about two hours after that uh, 911 calls made that the German tourist that we mentioned sees the upside down SUV on the other side, or I'm sorry, on the underside of the cliff, uh, denoting the, the then investigation to start police officers showing up. Uh, it's where they find Jen's body, Jen's body in the driver's seat. Sarah's in the backseat area. Uh, the kids were thrown from the vehicle. So there is just. Hmm. Okay. So we're not done. And so that <laughs> Why? We went over this the first episode. We can't do this again. <laughs> because it's important to talk about like we remember how we talk about things without context not meaning anything. Yeah. And so two days later, the sheriff's department is searching the house. Um again, CPS also shows up after the welfare check is done for a third time to try to find the hearts. So at this point there is an a repetitive, intense, or intentional effort to follow up with the Hart family and the kids. Um, and I would argue too little, too late, clearly. Um, right. But when the Sheriff's Department is searching mm-hmm. the house, they find that the fridge is full of groceries. Yeah. Right? And they have chicken feed in the middle of the living room floor. Mm-hmm. So... Do what you want with why they would have chicken feed in the middle of the floor. Right. Um, what were the kids eating? If the food and the neighbors asking for food from the neighbors and there's groceries full of a fridge full of groceries. Um, but they also noted that the house was so clean that they would label it sterile almost. Yeah. And that it didn't even look like kids lived there. Yeah. Like that is the this is the the environment that the heart kids were in. The bedrooms got me. Right. And Sierra's body had been missing from the crash site. Um, On April 7th, about a week later, her body washes ashore. And then 
Uh, we do, we, they do end up finding uh, about a month or a month or so later. I believe it's like thirty-three days later. Uh, a resident finds some jeans and then a shoe inside one of the legs of the jeans. Uh, there's some skeletal remains in the shoe, um, but they, at the time, you know, they were they were trying to figure out if that had belonged uh, to Hannah. From what I have read, I believe they have since linked it. Um, so Devante to this to this day has still not been his body has not been recovered, no. and there is speculation that there's a there may be a chance that he had not been in the vehicle when it went off the cliff. There's the chance that if if you're asking me, mm-hmm. being a true crime person, mm-hmm. being a a person who thinks about you know, all the forensic ish, I and having to talk to and about criminals right where i would believe that there's a chance that they may have ended this poor boy's life before that yeah yeah right where he's the one causing the most trouble now cps is snooping around if they're already beating these kids neglecting these kids what's to stop them from going now completely off the deep end and maybe that's why they're on the run it could have been the anger from the CPS case that led to a murder that led to this outcome too, because you know you know you're gonna get in trouble. So absolutely, There's, at this point, like again, remember I talked about them maybe stashing money because it's just in case you have to run. At some point, uh, <laughs> old country saying my grandma say the chum chickens is gonna come home to roost. At some point, what you're doing in the dark is going to come to light, right. and. This was that moment. Because this is such a drastic way to murder everyone, too. Um, so it, it, it there is a sense of urgency in the way that they did it. So maybe Jen went too far with Devante. And his, like I said, his body has not been discovered anywhere. Um, so now hasn't washed ashore. Oh, uh, so. But there's, again, there's also the, the speculation that if he was in the car and it went off a cliff and it's in the water... You know, it's California, it's the Pacific Ocean, there are animals, you know, and so like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of theories as to what could have happened uh to Devante. But that is the case of the Hart family. Did not need three parts or more. Um Yikes. So if you or anyone you know, I feel like I'm talking like an Unsolved Mysteries you are. episode, but if you or anyone you know um, is one, I'll say this, if you're a witness to any kind of child neglect, child abuse, if you suspect it, um, if it's safe to do so, if you have a relationship with said child, feel free to ask questions that are that can get you the answers you need. A lot of kids aren't going to answer right like directly if like is your mom hurting you? What are you talking about? You know, but ask questions like, "Hey, do you do you eat enough? You know, are you hungry? You know, like things like that that kids will always kids will always answer questions that have to do with their immediate like satisfaction usually. And it sounds manipulative cuz it is, right? Cuz you want to make sure they're okay. Um if you are a person who is again, uh victim of domestic violence or you feel like you are trapped or being forced to go along with things you should probably talk to somebody um if you are a person listening and you are under the age of 18 and you are a foster kid or an adoptive kid and you are being mistreated if you are a person with your bio family and listening to this who is being mistreated please talk to somebody please 
get out of a situation before it gets worse or before it harms you in a way uh, that is difficult to come back from. So those are all things I have to say. Um, I would just argue that if you guys, if you're going to do anything uh, specifically for me, I'll talk about me as a person who, again, who has experienced both sides of this, that if you're going to foster and adopt, I don't believe that anyone listening is inherently an abuser. But if you're going to foster or adopt, please consider uh, the history of the kids. Please understand where these kids are coming from and what you're supposed to represent and what you're supposed to be for these kids. You are supposed to be a soft landing, a new start, a safe haven. You might even just be a holding place, right? They might be back to parent, they're back to their family once they get it together, if they get it together. But know that you're supposed to be that. You are supposed to be a family for the kids and it is not supposed to be more of the same. And if you are a social worker or a uh, behavioral therapist or whatever, whoever's working in a human service agency, and you feel that your agency is being unethical and not following up and not doing the things to protect the kids the best they can, blow that mouth whistle. Do what you got to do. Not if only it mean- that. If you're a case manager or a social worker, I know the job gets overwhelming at times mm-hmm. and it's not always the agency. and things get overseen but you try your best to make sure that you're seeing each and every one of your clients that you're supposed to be seeing on a regular basis even the ones that you think don't need to be seen make sure you see them you lay actual eyes on them and this is coming from a managerial base too i'm just you know I've been in this field so long and I'm only in this field to help people. And I don't like to see when people get neglected. Sometimes it's the agencies trying to cut corners and sometimes it's the people that work in said agencies just trying to get a check. These people's lives are important. There is so much oversight in this specific case. It's heartbreaking. This is just heartbreaking. Unacceptable. Like every step of the way. And you may not need want to write the note about the family that day, but you're going to fucking go see the family and you're going to write the note and you're going to do your job. You may not want to drive. I don't care what the reason is. Guess what? It's not enough for these people to go neglected. And even the people that you think are okay, the families, because there's a lot of people like this is one of the families too. Like you see a family, you think they're okay because the exterior looks great. You go into the home and you check the home. A simple investigation. I mean, maybe they cleaned up before, but you drop by unannounced because a yeah, simple investigation the of the home would have raised suspicions. Not after that they're dead and people are going into the homes that you feel suspicious and you're like, whoa, do kids live here? No, these questions should have been asked when these kids were alive. This case makes me sick. I'm going to go. <laughs> no, I, I hear you 100%. They're, like what happened to these kids is unacceptable and I mean there have been since this case there have clearly been calls for reform and overhaul of systems and what it looks like and what's expected and uh, accountability practices mm-hmm. but I would argue that we need to be more proactive and not reactive in cases when it comes to the well-being of children yep. when it comes don't to have the well-being of anybody well, yeah. Yeah, and children, too. I hear you. Right. Um, so it just needs to be, at least we talked about, again, we talk about how the system fails kids constantly. 
And the only saving grace of some of a failing system in times are people who do care. You know, like I when I think about my own story, the only reason I got out of a situation and I was able to see it for what it was is because my social worker cared enough about me and my sister that she was excited to just drop by and see us. She didn't have any plan or there was no motive. She was in the neighborhood and liked us and and will to this day admit that she liked my mom. And so, like, and did everything in her power to get my mom the help she needed to get us back. And my mom was just not in a place to do it. But, like, that's what it was. Just someone giving a damn is all it took. Was it like, you can't stay here, you know? All it takes is someone to say, I can't mind my business. You know, if, if you, if it's, if something sits in your gut, talk to somebody about it. If you ask somebody, what should I do? Call. And give an anonymous tip if you don't want it to blow back on you, if you're afraid of what's going to happen. There are CPS has anonymous tip lines everywhere. Everywhere. Like, make the tip. And if they find out it's you, like, you did you did those kids a service. So, that's it. That's the Hart family. Um, like I said, if you guys are looking to foster kids, just know, like, know what is expected of you. Um, know that you are going to be a a significant piece of this kid's life going forward. You're going to be part of that story that they tell when they, when they're adults and they're saying, you know, I went through care and these are my placements. They remember, they remember moving with their stuff in plastic bags and like the hefty bags. They remember moving from home to home. They remember how people made them feel, how they were treated. Like if you can be the last stop on that, you know, on those journeys, like, or if you're not the last stop, if they're, if they're going to be reunited, at least make make that experience special enough oh, and healthy enough and, uh, to do well. I'm going to leave you with this. Little things you could do, and that's something you said just touched me, um, the hefty bags, the plastic bags. If you could donate, um, like, the luggage or backpacks to, like, local uh, children's shelters. They have a lot of children's shelters ran by DCF. Uh, you can probably donate to DCF in general. Um, that's helpful because there's such a difference between moving in a backpack and uh, overnight bags than, you know, putting your stuff in garbage bags. It does make a difference. Right. There's a, there's the running kind of foster care joke. Um, and only people who have been in foster care can make it. Uh, <laughs> the joke is that you can spot a foster kid by them walking kind of together and holding hefty bags. Yes. Like their entire life or what they can take is in this bag. And I was blessed enough, like my social worker was young. We were her first case. And so she didn't know she shouldn't be this well invested, but she was able, she got like vouchers for us. And I remember going to Walmart and we each had $200 to spend. Now our life got uprooted two hours prior and we had $200 to get what we wanted to bring with us places. So we had a duffel bag and we bought pajamas and jeans and t-shirts and that's all I had while I was moving back and forth between like group homes and cousins' houses and families. And so like it's, but it made me feel better and it made me feel less like a criminal or less like some outsider outcast by being able to walk around with a duffel bag with my stuff as opposed to a garbage bag. So it is a way you can help. Um, or just reach out to your local children's agencies and figure out other ways you can help. If you want to volunteer as a mentor, um there's some we could we could list ways you could help all night and i'm it's tired it's tiring i'm exhausted from talking about this and i'm super hungry i'm just trying and i'm to probably gonna up. like stress i've been me. trying to get off this mic because i definitely need some self-care moments i'm very triggered 
Yeah, I'm gonna go watch like a horror movie or something. I'm gonna go watch like Steven Universe. Yeah, I don't know why I do this to myself. (laughs) Um, it's just it's just who I it's just horror movies. I like the tropes and the basic plots. I can't traumatize myself at all. I'm actually it's just, it's just, gonna tell you something offline. It probably was a bad, bad week to talk about this, but okay, you realize oh, it no. after. All right. Um, well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, like I said, oh, D, tell people where they can find. Oh, you, you were about to forget because I didn't. Uh, Instagram and Twitter underscore D underscore Isa. That's I S A. You know, you know the vibes. <laughs> they do. Um, if you want to find me, it's at SharnLB, Instagram, Twitter. I, I would say Snapchat, but whatever. Um, I was like, that's also my Venmo. Uh, <laughs> well, also, shout out to everybody who wished me a happy birthday. Um, shout out to the folks who sent me a little bit of cash to like go get something to drink or eat for my birthday. You guys are really You're awesome. Welcome. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna list you. You're uh, welcome. You know who you are. No, you sure? I did. Way to like. That's fine, but you're also like my friend. So I don't sorry. have to. Um, <laughs> you don't have to, but I'm saying like I like it does you don't get special points for well, damn. doing it because you're a friend. <laughs> I appreciate it. I said thank you, but you know what I'm saying like for the people who didn't who don't know me personally yeah. and just appreciate me, it, it was nice to feel nice. I don't know you um, <laughs> right, and I, as a person whose family doesn't really celebrate them for their birthday, I've spent the majority of the last twenty years of my life kind of underplaying my birthday because it's just what it is um so at 31 to have people who i've never met really reach out and just say nice things to me about me um i read all the instagram comments i'm one of those people who go through and respond to every single thing because that's just i'm just that appreciative it's just not my norm so thank you um thank you for making it special guys right very special for a monday as well um (laughs) (laughs) but um also you can follow the podcast on twitter on instagram at what did you do pod Remember, if you want to be thrown into the drawing for these standard passes, no, I'm sorry, the live passes, what they're called, for the two free, for one of the two free live passes, uh, email us at whatdidyoudopod at gmail.com, first and last name, right, with uh, your favorite episode and why it's your favorite episode. Um, and like, again, you don't have to say it's because, you know, seven people were, like, I don't, I know it's not because seven people were killed, but what is it specifically <laughs> about the coverage or whatever it is? And if you like D's laugh, or if you want to say something nice to us about us or suggest a case, do that. We have a list of cases and we just move slow, but put it all in the email. I'll look out for them. It closes October 16th. Also my sister's birthday, October 16th at 8 PM. All right. So do that i'm looking really forward to 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 doing this because it'll be fun and you guys get to enjoy uh crime con virtually it was so much fun to be there um in new New orleans last year and meet so many people who listened and i got to meet diana and her strapping husband in person (laughs) these Uh, jokes these inside jokes her poor husband she tugged she she tugged me she (laughs) she tagged me in a post uh she's like i'm just gonna tag you in this so you can just go ahead and like it and i was like you know what does he have a brother? She's like, yeah, but he's married. So, uh, but if anybody, look, I am, I am 31 now and I'm single and I'm not really ready to mingle, but hey, shoot your shot. Anyway, guys, thank you for listening. Um, I definitely appreciate it. Bye. Thank you for being awesome. Thank you for being great. Yeah. Thank you for letting us be ourselves. Go do your self-care things um, now. This was a lot. Um, but make good choices, y'all. Wear your mask. Uh, vote. All that stuff. Just do the, do the best thing you can do to love people well. All right. Bye.